Good morning, good fathers. It is the day before Valentine's Day, Wednesday morning, 2-13-2024. We're in the future. Did you ever think you would say 2024? Like, I don't know if you're like me. As a kid, I would sit and do the math on it, and I'd be like, when I'm, because I, well, let me preface this with, I, I've always been totally afraid of death. Like it consumed me as a kid. And my, from nothing directly, you know, mainly, uh, that's not true. If I'm being honest. Okay. So I was in kindergartens, had half days where I went to kindergarten, center elementary school, shout out to Freeport, Illinois, shout out to Mrs. Regis, if she's, if she's still around. Um, if she's not, may her memory be a blessing. Um, my mom and dad both worked at a factory micro switch, which then got absorbed by Honeywell, which then shipped all of their jobs over to down to Mexico during the NAFTA uh, deal in the nineties. So town went to like a, basically a ghost town overnight. Um, it was already on the decline with, with industry leaving and going to cheaper markets and you know, Americans are expensive. And so the companies like to have the shit that they sell to Americans made other places, which, you know, do that math for 10 seconds. How sustainable is that model? But they don't give a fuck because they get to fuck somebody else in a different country that doesn't have laws that protect them like we do. Um, laws that are great, 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 great grandparents were you know, fighting for, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, living a, a much harder, tougher existence, I will say, not harder, tougher existence. Um, I think if any generation switched places, uh, it would be you know, depending, depending on when, if you were born at a different time, you would just be like those people. Cause you were born at the same time as everybody else. But I'm saying as an adult, if there was a time machine, you could switch places. Like you remember that movie, um, wife swap or whatever. Like if you just life swap, if you could go and live in like the 1700s, but they lived in 2024. I mean, change is incremental. You know, change and so in society and social evolution is is incremental. Um, but I feel like since the Enlightenment, you know, it, it's kind of and through technology, it's just exploded in the last little little bit. That's how you know we're kind of you know I'm not at the end is near. Uh, the end is inevitable, is what my sandwich board would say. Like, we're all going to die. Um, there's no exception to that rule. We're all going to die. But as a kid, back to my story, so kindergarten was half day. So I, I left kindergarten. I would walk home. I was like three blocks away in Freeport. Freeport wasn't what it is now. Then you kids could walk to and from elementary school. Um, you know, you had your your whole block was walking to and from or whatever. So there was a buddy system and parents really didn't care about kids that much back then. Um, they didn't know to, 
but so I get home and my parents had hired these two high school age girls. I don't even remember their names. I can't even place their faces um, to watch us, but they, they thought it would be a good idea to put ketchup all over themselves and make it look like the whole house had been murdered while I was at kindergarten. So my brothers were in on it. My stepbrothers are six and 10 years older than me. So I am five years old walking into a house of all like preteen teenagers, um, just massacred, butchered. And they played it for like, a, it felt like forever. Like I just froze. I was screaming. I was like, you know, I thought my family was murdered. And then they were all like, oh, don't be a pussy. You know, that was the 80s. Like, don't be a pussy. You know, stop crying. We'll give you something to fucking cry about. It was funny. We're being funny. Fuck off. You know, um, it was very much that kind of thing. And so I was scared shitless of dying death you know you're processing like wait we are gonna die what if someone kills me what if i get hit by a car what if you know and i just obsessed about it obsessed about it and here i am almost 46 years later and nothing fucking has happened yet knock on wood so i worried about it unnecessarily when i was five years old uh, but i think that informed you know the religious uh pursuits, you know, just wanting to know, okay, shit, we're all going to die. What's after this? Is there, is there a test? Do I have to know the answers? Well, fuck, I don't want to go to hell. Hell sounds horrible. Hell sounds miserable. Wailing and gnashing of teeth and fire and the devil and, you know, all of that stuff. And when you're a kid, I don't care what they say. For me, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, my imagination has always been a thousand percent more vivid than any fucking movie. In fact, I was so scared of scary movies when I was a kid that I would hope they showed the bad guy. Because if they showed the bad guy, I could see how horrible of a fucking production it was. It was when they didn't show, like Jaws fucked me up. That music, because my imagination, Jaws was in every swimming pool, every fucking bathtub. You know, it, it's a fear. That, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, a very educated person, but I can only equate it for me personally to like the fear that you have just not having your biological father. Like my hope is that my children, like there's a, there's kind of a fence in their mind where they know like beyond that fence, it's a dad thing. My dad's got it. You know, I didn't have that fence. I mean, I had have and had a stepdad who did a great job is a great dad but that absence opens you up to more fear you know the attachment isn't secure <clears throat> and you know it, that took me 40 plus years to figure out as well um but you know uns unsecure attachment fucking trauma you know <laughs> I guess I was scared shitless of dying. And I feel like everybody I knew was too. Like there was this underlying fear that everybody 
had of like, you know, what's going to happen, but you can't talk about it. You cannot process it outside of like a professional, you know, you got to go to a therapist, you got to spend the rest of your life figuring out like, Oh, I just, I wish she was here. I wish, you know, when Johanna passed away, I was probably like, what, 23, 22. She was my first like serious, serious, serious relationship where we talked about, you know, doing the damn thing. And, you know, she had cystic fibrosis. For those of you that know me, you know the story. Um, and my dumb ass, you know, I asked my buddy Sean at the time, you know, what is it? Because he was telling me he was, we were, I was asking him about her because he knew her um, and had a kind of more direct in with her than I did. I worked with her at a preschool. I was teaching the four-year-olds at a preschool. Yeah. Uh, the 90s were fucking wild. But long story long so this guy sean is like it's like a really bad asthma and i'm like oh fuck asthma like i already had i had a childhood friend josh hunt god rest his soul um he died of asthma so i'm like oh yeah I, you know i knew asthma was like the real deal but i'm like as there's a spectrum of asthma you know so she kind of broke it down to me a little bit better but i still I mean, to this day, I don't truly understand it. And I know a lot about it. I know way more than the common public because I've tried to, you know, even be at the early stages of the internet, Dr. Schroeder was going to, you know, fix everything and figure it out or die trying. And that's control. You know, that's wanting to, to have control and to, you know, problems have solutions, which they do. And I don't knock myself for my naivety and stupidity. That's the shit that you do when you care about somebody, when you love them. You want to figure out like, okay, if I can make you better, I will make you better. <clears throat> and at the time, in the religious shit that I was involved in, um, you know, that philosophy and that dogma was God not only can heal people, but he will heal people and wants to heal people. And all you have to have is faith. And I didn't real. I was too dumb to realize at the time that that was the new stick and carrot because the old stick and carrot was the Catholic saying your relative died. We're not sure if he went to heaven or not, but if you kick a couple coins in the coffer, we'll say a magic prayer that only we can say, uh, and we'll get them in. And then when the printing press came along, people were like, well, that's dog shit. We don't even need a priest to do that. We could just, this is all our stuff right here. And, you know, now with technology and people are comparing notes in other spiritual disciplines and practices and kind of realizing that, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit and there's a lot of like corporate elements and power behind the old model of religion. But, you know, it's not God without, it's God within. And when you look back at your life, you're like, well, shit. It's all kind of worked out exactly as it had to. And maybe right now it's 
part of the part where it's working out as it has to, but it's it's incredible to me that life always kind of resets to the good, you know? Um, and in that is, I think a lot of the keys of why we suffer, like comparison is the thief of joy, which is a kind of beat down saying it's been around forever, but it's it's absolutely true. The reason we suffer is because we're comparing. What are we comparing to? And who are we comparing to? The secret is to be grateful for it all. To be grateful to just be on the ride. <laughs> and then figure out where you want to go. And then figure out if other people are going that same direction. And building community around that. Not on dogma, not on fear. Definitely not fear of death. Death is inevitable. Death is us returning to our source. If death is so scary, then before our birth would be equally as terrifying, would it not? You didn't exist before. So when you no longer exist, it can't be the end-all be-all. And this is where we get tripped up and we forget to live this life. We, we taxi around this grief so much. And I'm going to tell you something that's been helpful to me. It's taken me a long time to really wrap my mind around it. And I still haven't. But when Oliver, you know, had his shit in the hospital, there was definitely a moment where I just kind of opened up to the universe and did a kind of, you know, God, if you're listening, if you're real, I don't know. I don't, I, at that time, I didn't know. <clears throat> and I still can't say definitively 100%. But what I can say is this. I came to the conclusion that like a child falling asleep at four years old and never waking up again is not the worst thing to happen in life if it's inevitable that we're all returning to the source like he would return undamaged unscathed for the most part by this plane knowing no suffering yes but also knowing no love you know true like deep intentional love like the unconditional love of his parents and, you know, reciprocal of him to us. Of course he knows that. But I'm talking about like the shit that you can only learn from living enough of this life. And honestly, I mean, I was 6, 12, you pick them. Selfishly, of course, I want my family to be around me as much as possible. I would carry them on my person if I could. I'm a first generational biological father of many different degrees. Um my stepdad had a stepdad. So this is this is some groundbreaking curse breaking generational curse breaking shit that's happening and that's the excitement. That's the miracle. And that's what I'm following here. That's what I'm, I'm just pulling that thread and being like, well, shit. If I want it for my kids, I know my friends want it for their kids. So let's all just compare notes. Let's all just get together and fucking figure it out. We're creative. 
we're good people. And that's what it comes down to is you got to decide like whether there is or isn't anything after this, whether there is or isn't anything that made this, whether this is the craziest accident that happened in the history of mankind, in the history of the known universe, literally, or somebody, you know, caused a spark and it's a closed system. And, you know, we kind of get to make whatever we want it to be on this plane. And it's all animated by a source. The conclusion is the same. We only get one round of this. We only get one shot, one opportunity. Dun, 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 dun. But we taxi around all this shit. We taxi around pain. We taxi around loss. And I'm not diminishing it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's fucking devastating. But it's more devastating if it kills you before you're dead. To everyone. To the person you mourn. And I'll end with this because I wasn't intending on talking about this today. But, you know, whatever. Wherever it goes, I don't care. Um, with Johanna passing away. At her funeral, her father, Dave who I love and respect very much. We're, we're very different philosophically, but in pursuit, we are very much the same. Um, he's a good dad. He's a good dude. He had a hard life. His father was killed tragically in a car accident when he was very young, went to boarding school. So he's very, you know, he approaches it through discipline. And I was the other kind of bastard. Um, I approached it through rebellion. So we were kind of the oil and water. Um, but in, in the same aim and pursuit. And he taught me a lot of stuff. And that's what life is, you know? So, but I, I remember he was at the funeral and, you know, he was, he, he was smiling and I know he was hurting and I know he was hurting, but his point was, you know, if we truly believe what we believe to be true, then she's in heaven dancing with Jesus right now. And that was a gut punch to me. That was like the major strike for me. Cause I was like, if, if that's the game, I, I don't want to play this game. Fuck it, I'd just rather be a normal person who doesn't know any better. And I, I, that's when I started to deconstruct the whole thing shortly after I left my internship. Took a job as a youth pastor afterwards just to recoup some money. I was making $50 every fucking two weeks, week, whatever it was. Wasn't enough to live off of. Anyway, um, and I carried that for a long time long time like if i had more faith johanna would have been healed if i you know believe johanna would have been healed whether we believe it or not you know we're supposed to be happy that she's not here and again i'm i'm, I'm very i'm not a smart guy so i thought only one thing could be true and it was only after living so much more life that I realized that all of those things can be true. And everybody can 
approach it a different way, but everybody's processing it and everybody's trying to get back to base as quickly as possible. Because though we lost those people, nothing we can do can change that fact. So how do we get back to base? Well, some people try to just fucking gut it out, shove it down deep, hope it doesn't come out at parties, drink it, drown the demons, newsflash, they can swim, um, escape, movies, food, drugs, heroin, booze, um, you know, escape. And I read something by C.S. Lewis. And it uh, it kind of put to bed the the internal struggle that I was having of could I could I have done more? I mean, I'll I'll tell you exactly the things that I that I thought about the last time we talked. So Johanna would go into the hospital regularly, um, to like if her breathing was bad or if the air content was bad, she would go spend some days in Madison. They put her on the ventilator or, you know, whatever equipment, I, I don't know what the equipment was. And she would get to breathing better. She would come back. And this happened frequently enough that it wasn't alarming that she was in Madison. But I think she knew she was dying. And I was doing a comedy show at the church. And I was so jazzed about it because it was a sketch show. We were doing it in the, in the lobby and like, 200 people were there. I was stoked. And so she called me. And mind you, we were broken up at this time. We'd just broken up, quote unquote, because she was feeling this pressure of like wanting to start a family. And I was like, you know, I would love to, but I, I'm an intern at a church. You know, they're, they're telling me that I can have my own mega church or at least mega youth group someday. So I, I got to see where this goes. You know, I thought this was the calling. And so she, she had decided that she was going to, you know, she needed to, time was of the essence. And we needed to break up because she wanted to start a family. And the main factor was insurance. She needed insurance. Her, without insurance, she couldn't have stayed alive with all of the medications and, and equipment that she needed. Um, and so it came down to that. In hindsight, knowing when and what I know now, it was, you know, if, if I knew it was going to be that soon, I would have just went with it. You know what I mean? I should have just, you know, <laughs> went with it. But it felt like a principled, moral thing. Like, I can't rob you of this precious time, but I also can't deny this calling. So it felt like, you know, a Sophie's choice in a way. And the last time we talked on the phone, she called me from the hospital and uh, she wanted to talk to me. And I said, hey, I'm getting this show's getting ready to start. You there's so many people here. I wish you were here. It's so cool. Let me call you right after. And she said, okay. And we said, I love you to each other. Cause we said that to each other. 
even though we were quote unquote broken up. Um, and I called back after the show, no answer. I was like, oh, she's sleeping. Then I call back the next day, no answer. And then finally her brother who ha we are, have been very good friends and have been not friends at various times. That's just how it works with us. Um, I love him to death. I will always love him to death, but we we're very streaky because we're very opinionated and strong willed people. Um, but you know, he broke the news to me that she had gone into a coma that night. So that was the last conversation that I was able to have with her and all of those things, you know, it's like, it's like the Titanic when they look back on it, it's like, well, if they had binoculars in the crow's nest, if they had, you know, this, that, and the other, and, um, what it comes down to is that's just how it happened. You know, that's just what happened. That's just what it was. And we're all just walking each other home. And I read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. And I love C.S. Lewis. I love his mind. Um, I loved his mind. He's also gone. May his memory be a blessing. But I love how he put it And as he watched his wife uh, pass away from cancer. Two-year battle of cancer. That's what that book is. It's his journal about his wife's battle and, and you know, eventual loss, they say. <laughs> I don't love that verbiage. Um, to cancer. And he said this. He's like, she's returned. I'm paraphrasing here. But she's basically like in heaven. She's returned to the source. She's at the, the place that we dream about. The place that we know we're from because this place doesn't ever feel like truly our home. Nothing I can say to her will convince her to come back here. Yet she waits for me there. And I was like, huh, she just had to go inside. We're still playing. She just had to go do something. We're still playing. We'll catch up with her later. We'll catch up with all of them later. But we're still playing. So let's play, damn it. Play. We're not here for a long time. We don't know how long we're here. But let's play. Let's do something. So that's, uh, yeah, that was this morning. Happy Tuesday. Love what you have while you have it. Because this too shall pass. Love you.